I started two weeks ago this series called Life is Not a Sitcom because I wanted to address some things that we uh, typically just expect is, 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 is at times normal and, 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 and address how life is portrayed to us through, through mass media and through the, through the world of sitcoms that most of us grew up on. And I spent a lot of time two weeks ago addressing the fact that life is not a sitcom, that problems last a lot longer than 22 minutes. Uh, and so there's, there's, there's a lot of these issues and topics we're going to talk through through this series called Life is Not a Sitcom that, that will uh, point out how different God's Word is from what we've grown up with. Took a break last week from this series. My brother Sean was here preaching, did a great job, Sean. Appreciate you a whole bunch. We were able to be in South Dakota watching one of my boys play football where my other son, my oldest son has moved to and his family's following him in a month and a half. And my youngest son came over from Denver and grandparents were with us. Everybody was out, uh, out in South Dakota. It was a great time to be together. Uh, but I'm excited to be back and to continue in this series, Life is Not a Sitcom. And we're starting today over the next few weeks and we'll talk about different issues and aspects about life. And I'm going to set up the, the message with a clip from a sitcom that will introduce the topic we're talking about. Let me just say this right up front. These topics we're going to talk about, especially this week and next Sunday, are topics that every one of you are interested in. You just don't want to talk about them at church. You're, you're, you're keenly interested in both of these topics, but you don't want to hear what I have to say about them on a Sunday morning. Hey, cuz. Heard you're having money problems. No, you didn't. Listen, I got the answer. You declare bankruptcy, all your problems go away. Creed Bratton has never declared bankruptcy. When Creed Bratton gets in trouble, he transfers his debt to William Charles Schneider. How would that help, Creed? In Monopoly, you go bankrupt, you lose. You don't go by Monopoly, man. That game is nuts. <laughs> Nobody just picks up get-out-of-jail-free cards. Those things cost thousands. <laughs> that is a good point. Bankruptcy, Michael, is nature's do-over. It's a fresh start. It's a clean slate. Like the witness protection program. Exactly. Not at all. <laughs> I've always wanted to be in the witness protection program. Fresh start. No debts, no baggage. I've already got my name picked out. Lord Rupert Everton. I'm a, uh, a shipping merchant who raises fancy dogs. That's the life. I declare bankruptcy! <laughs> as easy as that. My challenge today is to tell all who will listen what God's word says about how to get out of debt and how to build wealth. Your challenge today will be to believe what God's word says about how to get out of debt and how to build wealth and then to obey God's word 
about getting out of debt and building wealth. In this area, as in all areas, God has an answer to your dilemma. The problem is that God can't even get his own people to pay attention. And as a result, as Dr. Tony Evans says, the addiction to debt is the newest form of slavery. Americans' addiction to debt is the newest form of agreed-upon slavery. Proverbs 22, verse 7. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Many of you know what it is to be enslaved by your bills. Debt is the newest form of slavery. And it is accepted as normal. It's accepted as just part of life. I don't know of a sitcom that has ever been made that has any character in it who budgets, who lives within the budget, who chooses to live within their means, and who is generous with their money and giving it away. See, there are three types of people in this world. The haves, the have-nots, and the have not paid for what they have. (laughs) How depressing it is to wake up every morning and sing the lyrics to the song, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. I know how important this topic is. Grew up in a family in debt. It's always chasing one paycheck after the next paycheck. I know what it is to live under a cloud of debt, to have creditors back in those days mailing you letters and calling your phone. I know what it is to live under the shadows of crushing debt and to feel as though there's no way out, to believe as though the only way out is more money and you can't get more money. I know when I got married that we had one and a half years of my salary in debt. I had it. And I know what it is to come in line with the truth of God's word. And without making any more money, become completely and utterly debt-free, not even a mortgage, and build wealth. This is important. Here's the bad news. Student loan information. Approximately 44 million Americans 
owe a combined $1.7 trillion for their education. It's over $40,000 a person. Student loans have become the second largest source of consumer borrowing right after home mortgages. This is important. The bad news, car loans account for $1.8 trillion of American debt. It's the highest it's ever been. Your new car, once you drive it off the lot, depreciates $5,000. As my youngest son was going away and moving out on his own, I walked him through a budgeting process. We talked about all this. So he'll, he knows how to live within his means. And I explained to him the difference between an asset and a liability. And I helped him understand. You have an old truck. It's not pretty. It's not nice. But it runs. You're going to make a lot of money at your new job. Don't invest your money in liabilities. He still has an old truck. That's still ugly, but it still runs. The bad news, credit card information. As inflation has gone crazy, people have turned to their credit cards to bridge the gap. In February of 2022, consumer debt rose more than $40 billion. 21% of that was on credit cards. We have counseled our children, especially our younger two, and they still do not have a credit card because they don't need one. The reason why we think we need a credit card is because the credit card companies told us we do. <laughs> that's the only reason. <laughs> it's the, that's kind of funny. And sad at the same time. Because what it has done has been the vehicle of slavery for most people. Here's the good news. Flip side. We have a Ramsey Plus site license. We have paid for your ability to have an account with Ramsey Plus Financial Services. And we offer a Ramsey Plus account to all church members, free of charge. And with that Ramsey Plus account, you will get access to the Every Dollar Budgeting app that connects to your bank account. And you will have free access to the Financial Peace University material so that you can tell your money where to go rather than wondering where your money went. Through the Ramsey Plus account that we provide free for you, you will learn how to build wealth the fastest way possible. How to build sustained wealth. You will learn how to successfully budget and how to get, out of, get rid of student loan debt. And what's really important, you will be able to teach your kids how to live debt-free lives. And through the Ramsey Plus account that we offer free for you, you will learn and begin to practice how to uh, the fastest way possible to build wealth. 
And all you got to do is contact Pastor Jeff at jeff at acts176.com. I don't know why anyone who is living with debt does not take advantage of this resource right now. It's interesting to me as I think about this this week. Pastors all over our country want their congregates to obey God. While many of those same pastors are embezzling from God by robbing him of his money because they don't tithe themselves. I find it also interesting that every parent in America want their kids to obey them while they embezzle from God and live in defiance of their Heavenly Father by not tithing. Is it any wonder why we ask God to feast at His blessings and we feel like all we get are crumbs from His table? This is important. Luke 16, verses 10 and 11 say that if we're not trustworthy in handling finances God's way, God will not trust us in any other area. Why? Because God knows that the most sensitive nerve in our body is the nerve from our pocketbook to our heart. And finances is the indicator light if we take God seriously or not. And so today I'm going to talk about illegitimate debt. I want to clarify it. Illegitimate debt. Debt that keeps you perpetually past due. Or debt that keeps you living from paycheck to paycheck. Or debt that you use as an excuse not to tithe. Or debt that you use as an excuse not to save. Debt other than a reasonable mortgage. And if you have illegitimate debt, there's something that needs to be corrected. Here's what I love about my God. Is that he knows what I'm like and he knows what you're like. He knows our propensities. And he has compassion on us when we come back home to him. So financially come back home as quickly as possible. Isaiah 1.18 says that though your sins are like scarlet, they can be white as snow. So whatever it is, whatever blessing that God would still desire to bestow on your life, in your life, for you, by his grace, don't forfeit it any longer. Come back home and do this money thing God's way. I was thinking this week about how to address this issue. And I, and I started to think about the way, the way we look at, at, at God's word regarding money. And just consider for a moment how most people handle God's word 
regarding finances. How most church people handle God's word regarding finances. See, this is how I think it goes. Either I'm ignorant of it, I just don't know what it says, or I just choose to ignore it. I come up with reasons why what God's word says doesn't really apply to today or to me. Or I'm just indulgent with my money, regardless of what God's word says. Or I'm just super impatient with my money. I haven't learned to practice deferred gratification. So, if you're a Christ follower and you are dealing with debt, which of these fours are your reasons? Are you just ignorant of what God's word says? If that's so, I'm helping you not be ignorant anymore. Or are you just choosing to ignore it? You've heard time and time again what God's word says, but you just choose to say, well, you know what? That just, not really for today. Or is it just the fact that you're simply indulgent with your money? Just indulge in your desires so you don't make room. Or is it the fact you're just impatient? You haven't learned to practice deferred gratification. That old beat up trust can be just fine. If we stop to think for a moment and consider how God's word prioritizes the use of money, God's word prioritizes it in three ways. Tithe it, save it, and spend it. That's the way God's word prioritizes the use of money. It's interesting to me that this is completely converse of the way most church people prioritize money. Most church people prioritize money this way. Spend it, if you got any left, save it, and maybe tithe it. And here's what I know. The vast majority of people, Christians... Church people never, ever get to the tithe part. Now, many give, but very few tithe. It's amazing, isn't it? How small a $50 bill looks at the grocery store and how big it looks at church. So, 2 Kings 4, verses 1 through 7 is the text we're going to look at this morning. 2 Kings 4.1, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two sons as his slaves. Let's just pay attention here. You got a man who's in ministry, who loves and reveres the Lord who's deep in debt. You have someone who says, I love the Lord, someone who says, I'm trying to follow the Lord, and someone who is deep in debt. Sound like anybody you might know? Debt is an equal opportunity offender. You can love Jesus and be in debt. 2 Kings 4 tells the account of a single mom who cannot pay her bills. That's not an uncommon scenario. But for this single mom, God has the solution. It's up to her to believe it and then to act on it, just like us. Her husband is dead. She can't make ends meet. She's subject to her creditors. 
And her creditors come to take her sons away and enslave them because of her debt to pay that debt. See, debt has enslaved her and is going to enslave her family and it will enslave their future. Does that sound familiar? It's all too familiar an account in America. Illegitimate debt has enslaved most people. This should be abnormal. This should not be the norm. This widow went to the prophet for help, not the bank. The widow went to the prophet for help, not a lending institution. The widow went to the prophet for help, not a credit card. Why? Why did she go to the prophet? Because she finally made the connection between her bills and her Bible. She finally made the connection between her God and her gold. And so like the widow, let's connect our bills to our Bible. Y'all right? Back to what the Bible says about finances. The Bible says, first thing you do is tithe it. The first thing. And the way you put yourself in a position to begin the practice, the worship of tithing, is to establish God as your source. And God says, give the first 10% back to me as proof that you believe that I am your source. God knows that this is one of the most difficult things for people to do. Again, it's a sensitive subject, and God says, I want you to prove that you believe that I am your source, and the best way you can do that is to give me the first 10% of your resource. See, when we just come to God and for and come to God for and come to God for and never invest in his kingdom, it makes us simply a consumer. One of the most hated verses in all of the Bible, the Italian prophet Malachi. It's kidding, Malachi. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now, here's what I know, because I've been around you church people long enough. Those church people who do not practice the tithe, who have not established God as the source, respond to this verse with these words. Well, see, that's in the Old Testament. And that's Old Testament law. And that's not really New Testament. And we don't live under the law anymore. And so the tithe really isn't a thing. My response to that is, all scripture is breathed by God and inspired. 
not the second half and over the first half. If you're going to throw this out because it's Old Testament, you got to then throw out Deuteronomy. You got to then throw out Leviticus, which say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So if you throw that one out, you got to throw those other two out. You willing to throw those out? And furthermore, if you're one of those that think tithing is Old Testament, not New Testament, you hadn't read your Bible yet. Jesus said we should tithe. Did you know that? Jesus said it. Matthew 23, 23. Yes, woe upon you, Pharisees and you other religious leaders. You're hypocrites. At this point, everyone say, well, yeah, Jesus is speaking the truth right there. For you tithe down to the last mint leaf in your garden, but ignore the important things. Look at Jesus' words, justice, mercy, and faith, the important things. Yes, you should tithe. Jesus' words. But you shouldn't leave the more important things undone. Old Testament, Jesus himself in the New Testament, yes, you should tithe and make sure that you're people of justice, mercy, and faith. Is the tithe the Old Testament law? Yeah, but it was established way before the Old Testament ever had a law. 430 years before the Old Testament law came into being, the tithe was instituted by Abraham to the priest Melchizedek. Go back and read your Bible. It superseded the law. It was part of the law, and it was affirmed in by Jesus himself in the New Testament. See, tithing for God's people is never about ability. It is always about obedience. And the Bible says of God that because his people rob him of the first 10%, now they must deal with the devourer. Go back and read Malachi. Because you robbed me of the first 10%, now you got to deal with, you got to contend with the devourer. I wonder for how many people it seems like their money is devoured by their bills. Psalm 50, verses 14 and 15 says, Pay your vow to the Lord, then call on my name. Most church people rob God and then call on Him to help with their money. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. God says, You can't pray to me about your money while you're stealing from me. It just doesn't. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 says, Give the first fruits, then your barns will be over full. See, part of this is we got to understand who we're dealing with. But we've got to understand who it is we're dealing with. That once God truly becomes the source, we're no longer owned by our resource. So tithing is all about establishing the proof of God's ownership over all of our life. And then biblically, after the tithe comes, the fact that we've got to save it. That you don't spend it if you haven't first saved it. That before we spend, we save. See, the tithe honors God. The savings honors our own future. 
And if I haven't saved some, I'm not going to spend any. Proverbs 13, 22. If you've ever read this verse, it says a good man leaves an inheritance for his grandchildren. Do you know that? And rather than leaving our kids and grandkids an inheritance, most of us leave them debt. This is what the Bible says about money. Proverbs 21, 20 says, store it up before you gulp it down. But the only way we're going to position ourselves to see God as the source, to begin tithing and begin saving before we begin spending, is we've got to be future-oriented. Proverbs 21.5 says that God honors diligent plans, future-oriented plans. And he honors those plans even when you apply it to your finances. And so the biblical instruction is to tithe it, then to save it, and then to spend it. And that every dollar app helps you establish a budget, live within that budget. So you do this and this, then you know how much you have to spend. And when the Bible talks about spending it, it says first you spend it on your needs, and secondly you spend it on your desires. You spend it after the tithe is honored. You spend it first on your needs. Now, the Bible says to be content with your needs that are met. Just be content when your needs are met. So let's just talk about our needs. For, so our need, what are our needs? What are our needs? Food, absolutely. What else? No, not gas. Shelter. Clothing, absolutely. Food, shelter, clothing. Someone said in the first service, transportation. Transportation is not a need. That's why God made public buses. You don't got to have your own car. Like, like food, shelter, food, clothes, and shelter. Those are your basic needs. Now, here's what we got to understand. The Bible says, be content with those needs that are met. In the Old Testament, when God provided manna for his people, were there, were there food needs met? Yes. Were they content? No. That's why they grumbled and got kicked out of the promised land for 40 years because they weren't content with their needs met. Manna was needs met, but it wasn't good enough for them. Clothes met, needs met. Listen, old raggedy Sam's clothes clothes are still clothes. And there are needs that are met, even if you've got to buy your clothes at Walmart or Kmart. Might not be what you want, but they're closed and that necessity is met. Right? I was in college. There was a little season there where I lived in my car. Optimum shelter? No. Shelter? Yes. See, if we're content, the Bible, if we're content with our needs being met, God will never leave us hanging, ever. But if I'm discontent with the needs that are met because they're not my desires that are met, I will always feel abandoned by God. So your needs. And then if there's resources left on your desires, 
things outside those basic needs. Now, listen, God loves to give us the desires of our heart. He loves it. Psalm 37, 4. Seek me, and I'll give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in me, and I'll give you the desires of your heart. God loves to give us the desires of our heart. In the realm of finances, he does that after the tithe is honored as proof of his position in our life and after we become content with our needs. You follow me so far? You okay? Okay, so I got a couple more things to go over. I realize it's 1130 right now. I don't care. This is too important. This widow of 2 Kings 4 realizes she needed spiritual help with a financial need. And so Elijah asked her, what shall I do? What do you want from me? How much food do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all except a small jar of olive oil. He said, what you got? She said, nothing. Well, I do have a little something, but it's not much. It's not enough to get me through. It's not enough to tide me over. It's not enough to make the ends meet. I don't, I don't, I don't. Have any of you ever looked at your pocketbook, looked at your checking account, looked at your bills and thought, I, uh, I got a little bit, but it ain't, it ain't nearly enough. Elijah said, go around to all your neighbors and ask them for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour all into the jars as much, uh, and as each is filled, put it to one side. So he says, you, you, no, 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 go to all, get all the empty jars you can. Get as many as you can. Since you don't have very much, you go ask for more. And go into your house and shut the door. Why did he tell her to shut the door? Don't miss the nuance of what you read in the Bible. He said, go shut the door. Why, why, why didn't he say, just invite your friends over. Let them see what happens. Why didn't he say, do this on the front yard. Do it on the balcony. He says, shut the door. Why? Because what God's going to do in your life is going to be behind the scenes. It's not for public display. It's quietly so as not to draw great attention. God's going to do something behind the scenes. Why? It's almost as if God says, look, I don't want people seeing what I'm doing in your life and coming to me and thinking that I'm some get-rich-quick scheme. I want them to come to me because they honor my word and they see me as their source, not just so they have more money than month. I'm going to do this for you. You're the only one going to see it working. Why does she go to the preacher instead of the financial advisor? What did the preacher have that the financial advisor did not have for her? Why didn't she go to the businessman? It's a thing called perspective. See, she didn't know what she already had. All she saw was a little bit of oil that was a resource that was too small. The preacher gave her oil spiritual meaning. She had a little oil, and in her perspective, it was too little. The preacher, here's what he did. The preacher helped her attach the resource to the source. And once your resource is attached to the source, God turns your little resource into so much more than you could ever hope to ask or imagine. 
She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, y'all bring me another one. This is, this is good. This is going well. <laughs> bring me another jar. He said, we ain't got no more left, mama. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go, watch this, sell the oil, and pay your debts. Get out of debt. That's the, when you're in debt, the first thing you do. You honor God, you trust him with this word, and you get out of debt. You and your sons can what? Can live off of what's left. The solution to your financial difficulty, you may already have. You just hadn't hooked it up to God yet. Her little resource, once it was attached to God, multiplied so much that she could sell it, get out of debt, live debt free, so much that she could retire off of it. Live off the rest. Look at God's goodness. Look at this. If you give, you get. Your gift will return to you in full and overflowing measure, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more and running over. Whatever measure you use to give, large or small, will be used to measure what is given back to you. God, I got great debt and I need your assistance. I'm not going to give you much though because I have great debt. God says, I'm going to do exactly what I told you I could do and you gave me a little, I'm going to give you a little. What you give you get both in kind and in abounding measure. See, we got to understand who it is we're dealing with. What we're deal- who we're dealing with is a debt-canceling God. We understand that at the spiritual level, don't neglect it in the physical one. Now, let me just address this as I close because this is going to, Help set the stage for all these other things we're going to talk about. Here's the thing. I told you when I started this sermon that, that we're going to talk about uh, topics that, that are of interest to you. You just don't want to hear me talk about them in church. Is, is money not a topic that's in interest to all of us? Yeah? Building wealth is not, does not interest you? <laughs> it ought to. You, you, we're all interested in this. You just don't want to hear what I have to say about it. So next week... We're going to talk about sex. Now listen, y'all interested in it. You just don't want to know what I have to say about it. Not me, what the Bible has to say about it. Especially not what I have to say. You just... And, and, and so here's the, here's the fallacy some of, some of you are living under. You may have established some bad habits. And those bad habits may have been gifted to you generation after generation of your family of origin. But let me say this very clearly. If you are in Christ, don't ever believe you're under the curse of the devil. 
you are in Christ, don't ever believe that you suffer from what some have termed generational curses. They do not exist. Why? Because through the death and the resurrection of Christ, every curse has been thrown down and demolished. It does not own you. So don't act like a slave to it anymore. Even back in the Old Testament before Christ, God dealt with this with his people. He said, what do you people mean by quoting this proverb about the land of Israel? Here's a proverb. The parents eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. He says, why do you guys say that ridiculous proverb anymore? That is not the truth. It is not generational. God goes on to say, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, you will no longer quote this proverb in, the, in Israel. For everyone belongs to me, the parent as well as the child. Both alike belong to me. The one who sins is the one who will die. The one who sins is the one who will die. The child will not share the guilt of the parent, nor the parent the guilt of the child. Don't ever, ever, ever believe anymore if you are in Christ that you suffer from any generational curse or curse of the evil one. It's been destroyed and demolished. We suffer for our own failure. Now, you may have learned some bad financial habits from your family of origin. I get it. But each of us bears responsibility for our current financial habits. Here's what I love. Freedom can be yours, and God's word gives a clear path to freedom. In every area and issue of life. Finances is no different. Your freedom today, please hear me on this, your financial freedom this day and God's opportunity to reverse the consequences in your life based on His grace begins with placing him as the ruler, the commander, the chief over every area, this area included. Don't sacrifice the blessings he still chooses to bestow upon you because you refuse his rulership over this area of your life. I want this for you so badly. I want this. I've been there, I know. I want you to be financially free, building wealth, and debt free. More than that, I want it for your children. I know how heavy a burden it is to live under that cloud. And with what feels like a life sentence. And even more than that, I know what it is to feel as though because of a family I've been born into, this is my destiny. And I don't want that for any of you. Now I need to do this little asterisk because anytime a preacher talks about money, you who don't know, well, it's just because they need more money. 
And they're only talking about money because they need money. Let me just set you at ease. We are doing great. We, we, we've never been in a stronger financial position in our church than we are right now. Even after COVID. We don't need your money. Please believe me on that. We give so much away. God has proved his word true that he has opened the floodgates of heaven. That is just poor. I'm going to be honest. If you, if you give your money to Flipster, we're just going to give it away anyway. I just say all the time, you don't give to us, you give through us. And so I'm not doing this because we need, please understand that. We're just, we're just going to give your money away. So the, the only thing it does, like if you, now you're not ignorant of God's word. If you choose to ignore it, that's on you. We'll be fine. You'll still suffer. And I don't want you to suffer. And hear me on this. If you're young, just starting out, you're not old and bald and fat like I am. If you're young and just starting out, get this right. Get this right. You don't have to live with the peril of the generations before you. Your financial freedom's waiting. Why don't you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us. I thank you, God, that you've given us your word and that your word is true and trustworthy, that it's alive. God, sometimes, as you said it does, boy, it cuts even the, the, to the dividing of bone and marrow. It is a sharp, two-edged sword. And then, Father, sometimes it cuts, but I thank you that it cuts in health. Father, I thank you that you love us and that you have provided for us the way to freedom, certainly through the cross, but what Jesus, you did on the cross, and certainly now, because of the cross, life in all its fullness. Some of us have sacrificed the full life that you have intended for us because of financial decisions we've made in the past. I do not believe that is your desire for your people. I do not believe that it's your desire. God, I don't, think, I don't believe it's your desire that anybody hear my voice does not want to get out of debt. I, I think everybody hear my voice wants to be debt free. Everybody hear my voice. Don't want to feel like they were a slave to their bills or their creditors. None of us want that, God. I don't believe that's your desire for any of us. And so, Father, for those who are willing, I pray that you'd see their hearts and hear their minds as they say to you, God, I trust you as my source. I'm sorry for how I've done this wrong for so long. I trust you as my source. I'm choosing the way of freedom. And as I do that, do what only you can do. Keep the devourer away. Honor your word of my life as I put it into practice. I choose this day your way. Father, I ask on behalf of these, my friends, 
in the strong name of Jesus. That we would live out from under the belief that we've been cursed, the belief that we've been snake bit, the belief that this is too much for us to overcome. I pray for my friends this day that they would not suffer at the hands and the schemes of the devourer any longer. I pray for us and these, my friends, that we would choose your way in every aspect of life and set you up as the ruler of our life. Thank you for grace. That is greater than my sin. Thank you for grace for which I can praise you day out and day in. Thank you for grace. And I pray your grace over us. In your name I pray, amen. Listen, I love you. And I want you to live free. And I want your kids and grandkids to live free. We're going to talk about some stuff in this series. I'm wanting to write up front. Next week is sex. Now listen, I didn't talk about money because I want money and I'm not talking about... <laughs> Just relax. <laughs> that was funny. Someone told me after first service, you need to say that. I'm like, okay, I'm going to say it. That's funny. It was funny. I just want to look what the Bible says. You understand that? I need to get off the platform. (laughs)